Welcome to What the Fuck Just Happened. I'm your host, Liz Enton. If you listen to the intro, you know my story. If not, here's a brief summary. I'm a science skeptic, and when my dad died, I took a shot in the dark and decided to investigate if there was any possible evidence of an afterlife. I assumed that was as realistic as Santa Claus, but I was desperate. However, I was so blown away by what I discovered that I wrote a book and launched this podcast. In this podcast, I will be talking to some fairly normal people about some really weird shit. I speak with everyone from psychic mediums and afterlife researchers to ordinary people who've had some inexplicable experiences. So come, listen, there's no need to draw any final conclusions. Keep an open mind and wonder, what the fuck just happened? Hi everyone, today I'm talking to Molly McCartney, who is an intuitive medium. And Molly, why don't you introduce yourself officially to everyone? Sure, thanks for having me today. Uh, my name is Molly, I'm an intuitive medium and spiritual life coach. My biggest focus lately is empowering women who have spiritual gifts and in, uh, sense their own intuition that want to follow a calling or start doing this work themselves or just, just to follow their bliss in general. I, uh, that's my focus right now, but I still do readings within that work and um, eventually we'll open up for readings again. But uh, yeah, touch and base with spirit, touch and base with what's in the highest and best interest of my clients. That's, that's what I'm all about. Great. I'm going to have a lot of questions about that. But first, I want to ask you, how did you even know you had abilities? Well, as a child, I have specific memories of seeing spirits around my bed at night. You know, maybe not even when I was falling asleep. Uh, usually spirit will kind of interact with us when we're in an alpha state, like on the way to falling asleep. But I remember just kind of laying there and I would see these kind of light beings and they were friendly. I didn't know what to think of them. It was interesting. And during the day, I played outside a lot. I was an only child, had a lot of solitary time. And I remember just feeling this kind of wisdom inside of me or this understanding of life beyond my age. And that carried through my whole entire life. But it, I kind of shut things down when I hit school age, which a lot of people do. You got to like follow the rules, color in the lines. And I started reading tarot as a teenager and then kind of opened up to what my gifts really were in my 20s when I started taking psychic development classes. So it was a slow, long, slow wake up or reawakening, I guess. And it was, I was actually very reticent <laughs> to, to even admit that I had the gifts, but they were real. I couldn't deny them. So what was your turning point where you finally felt you couldn't deny them and you had to quote unquote, come out? <laughs> that's a, that's a great question. Cause that's one of the hardest parts about this path is coming out of the spiritual closet. Well, when I was, you know, what happens in, in my understanding and my, my journey, those of us with gifts, we come into contact with people that are going to help us develop them or whether it's a, a program or a class or a, you know, a mentor, a lot of times that's a big part of the process. So when I started psychic development classes or even, you know, reading tarot it was like, Oh, this is interesting. And it kind of helps me understand life better or the classes. It's just fun and interesting. I, I never intended to do readings for a living or be a mentor myself. I knew I was going to do something, but I didn't know it was that. And so when I just kept getting great evidence, I studied with an evidential medium. She was trained in Arthur Finley College in England in the spiritualist tradition. We have like Casadega, Florida now is like called the psychic capital of the world because they study the same evidential kind of work. So the way that I was taught to read was to, to discover details about the spirit that was coming through. And so as I got good at that, I just couldn't, I couldn't explain it. Like maybe with intuition, I could say, all right, well, I can make associations. Like, you know, I have a high emotional intelligence, so I can use that. But when I came to mediumship, I just couldn't deny what was happening because I had no explanation for how I knew the things I knew. And when they started really helping people in the groups, 
you know, they'd tell me how that would heal their, their grief. Or, you know, they'd say, here's the necklace that you saw that my, my dad left me or whatever. I'd say, okay, well, this is something. And then I started putting myself out there part-time and just seeing what would happen. And I thought if I flop, I flop and I won't do this. But if I continue helping people, I'll keep doing it. And I haven't stopped since. (laughs) How do you get the information? Do you see it, hear it? I actually teach this when people are interested in opening up to their gifts. So we call them the Claire's in the woo-woo world. (laughs) So you've got clairvoyance is the most popular. Most people have heard of clairvoyance where you have clear seeing. Sometimes that means people will see things in their physical vision outside themselves sometimes. And for me, it's more internal. So almost like dreamlike or calling forth a a picture that I can describe. Some people hear, uh, we call that clear audience. I also hear when it comes, especially when it comes to mediumship, I'll hear very specific things or uh, phrases. And I do a lot of emotional connection more than specific facts or like, like specific names or specific addresses. Some mediums get very factual things. I get more of like emotional memory stuff. And then as clairsentience is feeling. So some mediums will feel the information as if the spirit has overlaid onto the medium and they feel like the person. I get a little bit of that when it comes to health or when I ask, and, and that's something I get a lot is, is how they died or what kind of health issues they had. And I can feel that in my body. So it's kind of a combination. It began more clairvoyant when I first started practicing. And then as I kept going, new gifts kind of came online and they all worked together in a real specific way. Now you say initially had a lot of clairvoyant, which it sounds like you still have, and mm-hmm. some clairaudient, which is hearing. How do you tell the difference? Like, do you... Do you see someone? How do you know it's mediumship and that it's not actually in front of you as part of this world? Well, luckily for me, well, I don't know if luckily is the word, but we do get to choose as mediums how far it's going to go. And and as I mentioned, I don't see externally, and there's a reason why. Uh, when I was getting into the advanced levels of my practice before I went professional or hung my shingle out, so to speak, I, I did ask to feel like have very specific experiences. So I had a an experience where spirit moved me down on my bed at one point that was freaky. I said, don't ever do that again. I won't ask, don't, don't do it again. They didn't. And also seeing who I believe it was my father at the time. Well, my father at the time of that practice showed up as a full apparition and it was basically an outline of his form with white lights, kind of like like a white shadow, if you if you can imagine what a, a shadow and white light would be. And he also showed up for someone else in the class a few weeks later. So it started to happen. But the the way my brain worked when I saw that, I said, I life is too weird. I can't, I don't want to see that clearly. And I said, please come to me a different way. So then, you know, now I close my eyes when I do readings as a medium, a lot of mediums keep their eyes open. It's a choice, but I keep my eyes closed so that I can quiet my mind and see those kind of inner images. So that's how I know. And the difference between doing an intuitive reading for someone's life versus a mediumship reading where I'm pulling in spirit is uh, it feels different to me. So it feel it comes in on a different side of my brain or it just, it comes in from this side. If it's mediumship, if it's intuition, it's usually from here and, and more embodied. Yeah. Since we, I'm not going to be mainly showing video. So it's on your left side of your head when it's mediumship. Yes. Mm-hmm. And when it's intuitive, which is more psychic reading a living person, it comes into the front Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I might hear some things if I'm connecting with spirit guides or which I do intermittently through that whole process. I do feel the more higher guidance on the right side, the back right side, as if like spirits whispering either behind, from behind me into my right ear, or if it's a loved one into my left ear. And is it a strong difference? Or is it something you've really had to learn to increase the sensations and pay attention to? Yeah, it's definitely a a hot, you know, being highly sensitive. It's very subtle. The difference is the feeling of the the energy of the the being that's coming in. So if it's a higher being, that's, I don't particularly work with with angels, although a lot of mediums do, but like a, a higher guide or an ascended master type energy, it feels big. And it feel it makes When I say the words, I feel like I need to own them very largely (laughs) with a lot of respect. When it's a loved one, I feel their personality. 
if it's a sweet little grandma, I'll just kind of feel this like, oh, she's so sweet. <laughs> or I feel, you know, a, a big strong man coming in or a child. If someone had committed suicide, I can feel the confusion in that. And, and we, you know, kind of go into that or, or was murdered or whatever. So it just kind of just changes according to the being. But that's how I can tell the difference. I would love to be able to have the gifts you have. I especially love to be able to see my dad. That's a very lucky experience. Although I imagine I can see why you would not want to have abilities to that intensity. I, I yeah. Would it just be, I mean, I'm going to guess how I feel. Tell me if I'm right. I feel like it could get to the point where maybe you couldn't engage in reality in a normal way. Is that what you were worried about? I think so, because, you know, I'm pretty far out there as grounded as I am. And I'm open to a lot of, of things. But yeah, walking around seeing spirit in addition to dealing with people. And, you know, it may be that I'm a highly sensitive person as well. And I can probably say with accuracy, not all mediums or psychics would would call themselves that but it's a temp like a temperament. So being already sensitive to every little <laughs> stimuli that I see, it's like, oh, now I've got to deal with the fact that there's a spirit literally standing right in front of me. So I'm okay hearing sounds, creepy old buildings don't really scare me that much. But yeah, that kind of how trippy that was. It was like too trippy <laughs> to go <laughs> to walk through life that way. So I said, not I'm not interested in that gift. Thank you. But no, thanks. I could get that. Are you able to have boundaries around it? Like if you were just hanging out with three friends, do their loved ones start coming in? Do you know things about them you would prefer not to? That's a really great question. And it's, I think it's an important part of mentorship and training. And I did have that of talking about ethics, not only ethics with your friends or anybody that you meet, you know, you don't want to throw a message at someone or, you know, someone's in the middle of their work day and you're like, Hey, you're, you're, wife that passed away last week is here and wants to give you a message. It may be healing, but it also may be very disturbing for someone who's not ready. And as far as being your friend's go-to psychic network, you know, it's, it's not, it can turn into an unhealthy situation. So it's always best to, for me, I put my hat on professionally and then I have to be of course careful about who's, who gets close in my life. But if I don't really offer up messages, unless someone asks, and make sure that there is a boundary. And as far as with the spirit world, we have something called either, yeah, just being very boundaried with spirit and saying, I'm not open for business right now. I'm not talking to you. But when I am, I'm really, you know, all right, everybody come on in. And they just understand that. And when your energy is strong enough to hold that boundary, uh, they don't really bother you. You know, that's something that I've worked with some people with when they're brand new to opening their gifts. They're like, you know, I've got this thing in my house and I feel bothered all the time or they have attachments or they're drained. So uh, just like you have boundaries with other people, you've got to have boundaries with spirit. And, and my teacher even made a metaphor, like you wouldn't let a bully push you around in real life. You know, you do something about it. You wouldn't let a spirit bully you or, you know, attach itself in a way that's unhealthy. Yeah, it is very important to, to make your energy stronger than anything else around you so that you don't, you know, you don't have to worry about that. And is that hard to learn to do at first? Yes, <laughs> it was for me because I was very much a codependent. I very much, you know, it was people pleaser. I let people walk all over me. So of course, in the spirit world, I did have a few follow me home from certain events and I'm like, okay, what am I going to do here? And I learned actually by, by holding boundaries with spirit, there were two things that, that helped me heal my codependent tendencies to people please and play small. It was like, well, I've got to stand up to spirit if I'm going to do this work because I can't walk around feeling at the mercy of whatever. Because there are dark spirits out there and there are people spirits that would take advantage of you. But also <laughs> disciplining my dogs, which is kind of strange. But <laughs> when I learned to have, it, it was about that energy management. And again, not being intimidated by whatever's going on around me, like saying, no, I'm taking the leadership here and not doing it all the time because I don't need that. But if it's a protective thing or a boundary thing, I can absolutely do it now. And it was, it was a, a development process for sure. I could imagine. And I probably wouldn't be so good at it either if I had abilities. I'm so bad at disciplining my dog. I'm just like, oh, he's being <laughs> horrible, but he's so cute. I have to always give him his way. He looks at me and I'm just like, well, there, discipline out the window. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you mentioned before spirit guides and angels. What are each of those and what's the difference? That's a great question. So spirit guides are, they can be 
people that were once here and then they say, hey, I want to be a helper or you have a soul contract with them at some point in between lives. And I don't claim to know how it all works. I know how what my spirit guides have told me and what feels right. But there are, you know, spaces in between lives where you decide on what's coming up next, what what's your kind of mission on earth? What are you going to be learning? How are you going to evolve? And that spirit guide is either decided for you or you decide, you know, who that is together. And it can also be a higher guide that maybe hasn't reincarnated in a long time. So that's why you hear a lot of people have either Native American guide or just indigenous guides from all over the world, you know, shamanic type people that will come in and help guide them because they don't necessarily incarnate here anymore. Some do, but you know, as we know, our world does not honor that very much anymore. So they stay in the spirit world to help us in the modern world, kind of to bring in that ancient wisdom and that understanding of our guidance system. With angels, as far as I understand, you know, there's the archangels, which have their own frequencies. So when you're tuning into the frequency of an archangel or, you know, any kind of majorly known entity like that, it's almost like tuning into a radio station. So you're turning your frequency in to get guidance or energy work or healing from this particular angel. And each one is a kind of in charge of a certain type of healing or empowerment goal. And so angels, as far as what my guides have told me, are right next to the source. So the source would be God, higher power. And in my understanding, that source and that higher power is all, you know, it's the energy of all that is. It doesn't really speak. It doesn't have language, so to speak. So the angels are the go-between between that source energy and people like us, <laughs> maybe even people on other planets. I don't know. But they're the ones that are able to just translate, translate that source energy information into understandable things or into energy that we can use. Were angels ever human? That, and I'm not an angel expert, so I, I have heard that they have not been. They're more celestial entities, whereas spirit guides can have had, can have had, I don't think that's right. <laughs> they may have lived on earth, they may have not. And I don't think I fully answered that question either. What spirit guides do is guide us through our lives. So as we have that assigned spirit guide, and we may have assigned angelic beings as well that are there to protect us and help us on, on the way, but the guides will present themselves a little more readily as to give us instructions. So they're even closer to the human mindset and human consciousness than angels are, if that makes sense. And I don't expect you to be able to answer this, but it popped in my head and now I'm very curious. You mentioned a source for this planet. Would there just be one source and it would cover the whole universe? And if there's a multiverse, would there be a certain different source per multiverse? This is purely philosophical. I don't expect you to actually know the truth. I'm just curious what you think. <laughs> it is one of my favorite questions and nobody knows the truth. I'll just put that out there. But one of my favorite ways to think about it is, yes, there to me, the source of all that is would be the same source for all the universes, all the realities everywhere. And there's just this, if you, if you could picture, and I've, I've felt it, I've had the experience of that oneness of, of feeling that and feeling a part of that. So that's all I have to really go on and why I don't really subscribe to God being a, a big person in the sky or anything, or, you know, having judgment. It's simply life force energy that flows through all things. And there is an intelligence that's greater than anything that we could ever know. So if you just picture the biggest brain with the most neuropathways, with the most, you know, intention, creating this beautiful universe all the time, it's running through us, it's running through the plants behind you, it's running through even stuff, you know, it's just, it's kind of always there. And when we are connected to it, that's when we can work with the law of attraction, we can work with gratitude, we can work with just understanding that messages and healing is everywhere if we just tune into it. I mean, obviously, no one knows for sure, but that's a very... <laughs> well thought out, interesting way to think about all of it. Now, you mentioned before you were getting levels of evidence that just was undeniable. Can you give an example of some of your earliest evidence that where you were just like, what the fuck? Okay, there's something going on. <laughs> I did say that probably. The biggest one I remember... One of the biggest is in, in class, we would practice with the same people somewhat, but we didn't really know them outside. And when I say we, I went with a friend of mine. And then of course, including everybody in the group, but the faces would change over time. So there'd be a core group of mediumship students. And then some would come in, go out and decide eh, it's maybe not for me. 
And I remember one lady that came a lot. Again, I didn't know her personally. I didn't know her story. And we were breaking off to do mediumship exercises. So we basically break off and practice as if we were the sitting medium and someone walked in and said, give me a reading. And I was, she had a difficult experience with her mother. They didn't get along really great. When the mother died, there was just a lot of, again, emotional healing and kind of completion that the the spirit needed. So I was talking about some wounding, some of the personality differences they had. She was like, yes, this and that. Yep. Yep. And then I just said, I, and now she's showing me a gold chain. There's, I don't know what's on the chain, but it looks like a little locket or something. And I just, I could see it. And maybe, you know, that's something that anybody would say, your mom gave you a locket, but I had no reason to say that. And she's like, yes, she did. And I just found it and have been thinking about her. And then the next and I said, oh, wow, that's really cool. Okay. I did really good today. Maybe I, maybe I can do this mediumship thing. But then the next class, she brought it in and showed it to me. And it was exactly what I had seen in my mind. And I was like, okay, so that's cool. And then several times after that, I think getting the validation of the evidence that I got, I'm a photographer and I'm very visual. So, you know, in my mind's eye, I'll see the person and describe them. And several times throughout my work doing this, you know, the time doing this work since 2011 or even before, people would show me a picture like, this is what you described. Does this look like who you described? And I said, absolutely, it does. And uh, there was even a period where I was doing spirit drawings. So I'd bring in the, the mediumship, the spirit, and I would draw a picture of them. And several people who received that artwork would send me those pictures. And it was just like, well, I can't make this up, you know? So I think, yeah, a lot of that was, was pretty cool and, and kept me going when I was doubting my gifts or doubting if I should even be doing it at all. I can't imagine what that would feel like to get that kind of constant verification. It's wow. It's, it's pretty cool, especially when it's an older picture, because some, uh, you know, grandmother types or aunts, maybe the person doesn't remember them very well. So I would see them as younger. So maybe when, you know, with their darker hair color, or they were on a beach somewhere in a bathing suit, and I would describe it, and then they'd sh- say, this is, this is the picture you saw. And I'm like, okay, yeah, it was pretty cool. Still is. And now moments with the locket, for example, why do you think it's her mother and not you reading her psychically? That's something that we discussed back then. I'm sure they discuss it more now. It's important that we know the difference because that does happen sometimes where people will, you know, read someone psychically and claim to be a medium and it's not really the same thing. I think the difference is, I I really can't tell you if, again, it feels different to me the way that a reading would go and where I put my consciousness and how I relax my mind is different. But otherwise, yeah, I'm not, I couldn't really tell you how to know the difference. And it feels different for everybody. I would imagine every, every medium and psychic. Another good thing to remember too, is some psychic slash intuitives. And I go by the term intuitive because I just identify with that word more than psychic. All of us do some level of psychic awareness work, but not all of us are mediums but all mediums have psychic ability. So it's kind of a next level psychic ability, whereas psychic or intuitives will read a human person, but the medium is able to quiet the mind and kind of look beyond the veil to read someone on the other side. That's the way I describe it. Thank you. You helped me work that out. I'm reading the spirit and that's the difference. I'm not reading the person and and kind of seeing what they're expecting or wanting to hear. I'm more reading what I see and just giving it to them. And I don't even really open my eyes to check. I just say, here's what I'm seeing. (laughs) And then I might check in the middle. To what extent do you feel you can predict the future? So a couple things. And and these are questions I ask myself getting into this work, by the way, because I'm like, you know, what's the reality of this? And what, again, I had to go with what my guide said, what my teacher, you know, share with me, the discussions we would have as fellow intuitives and psychics and, and mediums wouldn't really be able to, I mean, they wouldn't particularly be engaged in telling the future because it is about healing, bringing in spirit. And we're basically working for the spirit world more than we're working for people. So we do what the spirit says, and hopefully it works for the people too. But in the psychic world, I think in a lot of ways, way back when, say you had a small town or a small village and you had someone that was very attuned and very intuitive or psychic, and there's not a lot of changes that are happening in that community, it may be fairly easy to predict who is going to marry who or what was going to happen, or if they were paying attention to weather patterns, like at some subconscious level, like they could kind of tell when something was coming. 
But as things have gotten more complex and we make decisions so much faster these days and there's so many moving parts, it's more difficult than ever to say we can predict anything. And the other difference nowadays is people are becoming more aware of the ability to create their own futures, but with their choices. So the more aware and conscious people become, the less easy it is to say you can predict any big thing. And I feel like I like to use my gifts to help people tune into that so that they can create a more conscious future for themselves. I can read forecasts. So I call them like weather forecast, but I don't know about you guys over there, but here in Florida, weather forecasts can change every five minutes, <laughs> you know, at least within a, some degrees or rain or whatever. So it depends on people's choices. And, and so I can read what's going to happen if they continue on a certain line of thinking and relating to, to somebody or in their work or whatever the question is. But I can also see if you make this choice, here's how it's going to change. So it kind of feels like projections or uh, forecasts more than it is predictions. And I don't think those are helpful for anybody. Why don't you think they're helpful? Could it not be helpful to know to avoid certain things or to do certain things? You ever wonder what mediums do with their free time? How about a 30-something-year-old gay medium living in New York City? Well, in this podcast, you're about to find out. Welcome to Ghost Daddy, a place where LGBTQ plus spiritual people and our cis-hetero allies, of course, have a place to just be themselves and spread their wisdom. This is the new face of spirituality. None of that love and light, toxic positivity crap. So pour yourself a vodka soda, <laughs> open up your mind, and start listening. You can listen to the Ghost Daddy podcast anywhere where you listen to podcasts. It could, it, I guess, yeah, I'll, I'll revise that. I think it can be helpful and there are some studies, they're not peer-reviewed medical scientific studies, but some studies done by people who want to know how all this works in the community. And it, this may be old information, but most intuitives are, you know, the really best ones are 87% accurate. So that's a really good accuracy rate, but it's not 100%. So you could have even the best intuitive in the world predict something for you, and then it ends up not coming to pass. And what if you planned your whole life around that? Or... One big thing I think that's very difficult in, in this world of readings and stuff is you do have people abusing that. So they'll use the idea of predictions to say, oh, you've got a dark cloud around you or, you know, this is bound to happen. So you better purchase this thing now so that it doesn't happen. And so it can be uh, it takes the power out of the person's hands and puts it into the reader and. I feel like our gifts are better used to empower the people seeking our support, more like a sage that's giving guidance or those little forecasts to help rather than like, you need me to tell you what's going to happen. Because I've had predictions done for me that never came to pass that I was waiting for, you know, mostly relationship based when I was young or what to do with my life. And it sent me on a lot of wild goose chases. And I re realized, okay, this is so that I tune into myself and instead of depending on other people to tell me what's going to happen in my life. I know you mentioned some of the early evidential experiences that made you unable to die. Something's going on. What is your biggest what the fuck evidential thing that you've had happen overall with all of this? Well, I can tell you some that have happened with clients. There's several of them. I don't know which one to pick. Here's one. And there's some personal answers I could give, which I will in just a second. But this one was very cool. So I had a couple come to me and they were in a really bad way, like very much in their egos, arguing. She was pregnant. They really were very spiritually aware people, but couldn't stop themselves from just like vicious fighting. And they were trying to decide whether to stay together, you know, and raise this child together or move on. And they came for a few sessions with me and I just did my thing. I did my readings. I, I did some energy work with one or both of them. And then after a while, didn't see them. So I kind of wondered, well, I'm not sure where that was going, but it seemed like it wasn't going in a great direction. 
I think I was at a drum circle a couple years later and I ran into them. Happy family, little girls, you know, two or three years old, and they are amazing and doing so well. And they thanked me and said their sessions totally helped. And, and they thought many times throughout the years about me and about what I have said. And to me, that's not an ego, ego aggrandizing thing. It's like, okay, I did, I did the right thing. I did. I, I was a good shepherd of that information. So I'll keep doing this. So seeing that kind of evidence is really exciting. And I think for my own life, the visions I've been given or the guidance to follow my calling, the way that it has worked and the way that I'm living a lot of the visions I had when I was 23, 25 years old, I'm now going to be 45 this year and everything is popping. And it's just like, wow, that time where it wasn't happening was where I was doing that spiritual patience work. But now that I followed the internal directions to, to take steps in this direction, it's just everything's working out. So I think that's what excites me about helping people do it for themselves because I, I know how good that feels to really know spirits got your back basically. And if we listen, the sky's the limit really. No, your work specifically, you've taken a unique direction. Tell me if I have this right, you're an intuitive medium focusing on coaching women in their business and their abilities. Well, given that I was a highly sensitive intuitive with codependent tendencies, and that was my specific challenge in trusting myself. So I, even though I had this wisdom going on inside, since I was a little itty bitty girl, you know, my first memory is around three years old. And I remember this was there. Then I remember shutting it down and saying, oh, well, that's weird. That's, that's not who I am in the human world. I'm like somebody else, but I've got this part of me that doesn't fit in anywhere. Once I really felt this calling to step forth, to write books, I have my own podcast now, I have my own business doing this. I felt the calling and I, I had to learn how to find the confidence to do it. And I didn't find it until I really started identifying with my spiritual self. And I can say, you know, I'm a woman, I'm so-and-so age, I make so-and-so money. At the time I worked in commercial insurance, you know, so there's all these descriptors about me. But it wasn't until I said, I am the spiritual being that experiences this life and it clicked. And I also healed my relationship with a higher power, very important. And, and I just, I just felt this calling that I'm going to help people that have, you know, that are struggling with this particular challenge of being a people pleaser, of not feeling confident, of being highly gifted and sensitive. They don't have to struggle. And I know there's a lot of us out there and I am learning that there's a lot of us out there. I didn't know them personally back then, but I knew, okay, this is what you're going to do. So really that's been more recent. I even, I kind of closed my calendars for single readings right now. I want to open them up at least for a few a month, but right now really focusing on my group program and watching these women bloom because I've seen privately so many go through the program and bloom. I said, well, let's get more in so that, so that we're all doing this together. And it's a really, cool next level of of the work how much are you working with them as an intuitive reading them intuitively and psychically as human to human the way maybe another coach who's logically fixed a lot in their life would do and mediumistically did their loved ones come in and give you guidance i use the intuitive part almost every session whether it's a private situation where we're doing one-on-one -on -one work, I kind of start with, hey, what's going on? How's it going? And there's some homework. There's meditation practice that they do, guided meditations to help them shift their mindset or discover something that they did not understand about themselves before. Then we do journal prompts and we do, I teach them to read Oracle cards for themselves and tune into their own spirit in several different ways, not just with the cards. So they're doing that at home. And then when they come in, whether it's privately or in the group calls, we do talk about what specific challenges they're facing. So in some ways in the beginning, I might be that reader, that sage guide that says, here's, here's my take on it. But after a few modules, after they're into the work, then I'll start saying, what do you think? You know, now that you understand this thought process, what's your intuition saying? And we differentiate between the thoughts of the mind, the fears of, you know, kind of the comfort zone and playing it safe for the body and, and survival, and then the intuition, which is the voice of the spirit. So that's, I, th I think I answered your question, but yeah, I will. I, sometimes I am just me, you know, and I'll share my stories and, you know, this is what I went through. So hopefully that will help you. Sometimes it is like, no, I'm not going to do that for you. I'm putting it right back on your plate. I'm going to ask you questions like another coach would. 
And then if it feels right, we'll go in and, and I'll validate their intuition with my own or sometimes say, hey, you know, actually you're overthinking that a little bit or you're in your fears about that. So that's how I like to use it. And it is a fine balance. I know this is a slightly complex question because I'm sure it's a little different for everybody, but I think most of us can relate to this. You've talked about how, you know, you turned off a lot of your intuition, people pleasing. I think I can very specifically remember early childhood and having very good intuition about people and to survive for multiple reasons, including a lot to do with the schools I was in, having to turn off my intuition. I'm still in the process of relearning it. Why do you think so? I would say probably 99% of us to varying degrees turn off our intuitions. Why do you think that is? Uh, I think you, you called it right there. We're enculturated to be more logical and to kind of desire things outside ourselves or to feel like someone else has the answer, which makes us very susceptible to, to marketing, to advertising, to, you know, the stories we see out there. Now there's social media, a whole nother layer of comparison and, you know, analysis paralysis. And, and we don't have, you know, kind of a spiritual basis to think about ourselves in terms of society. And then depending on your family, you may have layers of very intellectual family that's like, oh, all that stuff's bullshit or, you know, the woo-woo stuff, whatever, you're making it up. That was my family. Yeah, right. And yeah, yeah, I understand. Like, that's nonsense. Like, don't spend your time on that. And we, we need to talk about facts and culturally appropriate things or important things. And there's also the religious uh, families. And I grew up in a more religious situation where, you know, even I think my I think my family's pretty cool about it now. But there's a little time they're like, we're praying for your soul, like you're a medium, you're not supposed to be doing that. <laughs> we're a little worried, we don't really understand what you're doing. But once they saw the outcome, and they saw some of the testimonials, or they saw what I was doing online, they're like, okay, I get it, you help people. And I'm like, yep, that's it. That's all you need to know. It's between me and spirit. And I'm like, I'm, I'm good with my afterlife. I'm not worried about it at all. So I think the the key in both of those things is that our ego, again, the intellect that likes to understand things and judge, et cetera, et cetera. And then our instinct to survive, which keeps us in the comfort zone or you know keeps us in fear. So we're not trying new things. It's, it's an old way that humans have learned to operate. And as we evolve and we are, we are evolving in this very moment, we're evolving, even though we can't see it and we can't tell, but you know, even in the last hundred years, we've evolved a little bit, but as we do that, I, I feel we're getting back in touch with that eternal essence inside, but we still don't have language as a culture in America anyway, you know, to talk about it. It's, and, and I think the woo woo stuff, it's, it's can be way out there and not very useful and more like about escaping reality. And then you've got, you know, someone like myself that wants to bring that woo-woo stuff into something that's very practical and useful because we can't decide who to love or who's right for our lives with our mind. You know, we can't decide where's the right direction to go for our lives with our fear. And we have to listen to that inner voice to know what's right for us. And, and I think a lot of anxiety and depression comes from not knowing how to tap into that. Once we get there, we go, okay, we can understand all that stuff swirling around us, but we don't have to take it so seriously. Do you have any tips? I know it would be very surface. It's obviously a lot deeper work, especially what you do with clients, but just a general tip on how maybe people can get started learning to undo our blocked intuitions about ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. You know, meditation is a big step. So one of the first things that I learned on the path, it was a bit of mindfulness meditation, but also transcending our everyday thinking. So going into a little bit of an altered state and meditation, which you got to start with the mindfulness first, which is paying attention to your body, paying attention to sounds around you, kind of letting everything go, letting your thoughts quiet. And that takes practice. So, and there's a lot of information about meditation out there. So that's a really great place to start because once you can get still and feel your essential nature, then you can start exploring that realm of, well, what is it telling me to do? Where's my yes and my no? There are a lot of you know intuitive coaches out there. Of course, I'm one of them. So you can always <laughs> go to my website and find out more about that. And I also have a book, Empower Your Wisdom. You can check that out for some basics. But I would say as you're taking courses or reading books, make sure you're using the concepts that you learn in your everyday life. I learned that 
it was fun to take classes and kind of play with others, but it wasn't, it wasn't until I started to say, all right, how can I use, how can I read this? Yeah. For me, like with certain animals, I would see a vulture in the sky and I was so transfixed. I've got these questions about my life and what I need to do. So what is this vulture showing up all the time for? There's obviously a message for me. What is that? And I would start to use that ability to read objects, things, people, spirit, for myself. And that's when I started to make better decisions because even if it didn't make sense to my mind, I could feel like this was the right thing and I could make sense of things in a new way and heal in a new way. I don't know if that's simple enough, but long story short, start meditating, start paying attention, start getting really present. And then, and then you can play around with what is your spirit telling you? What are you, you know, how, what's, what does it even feel like or sound like to hear your own spirit? I think those are really good tips and it's complicated. It's very simple, but it's complicated. <laughs> yeah. Sure, we wish there was that one formula. You do this and all work out in this time frame. Ideally, <laughs> short time frame. Uh, for me, it's been a lifelong process, and I assume it will continue to be. Yeah, absolutely. And every time we start something new, we're thrown right back into it. It's like the ego is always operating. It's that old operating system. I think of it as a computer system that's just run in old programs. And so you can master it in one area of your life and then get all shaken up when you try something new and you have to go right back in and practice it. So it is a lifetime practice and balance and, and it keeps things interesting, right? So you have a podcast too. Tell us a little bit about your podcast. I was on it. It was really fun. I, we met in a podcast group. So tell us about yours. Awesome. Yeah. So the one we, we did is called the Empowered Wisdom Show. And I am working very hard to get that launched and up into the charts in April. It's been pushed back several times, but there's multiple reasons for that. But it's interview based. So I interview women like yourself, actually lots of different women in different fields. The main theme is we're kind, people pleasing, <laughs> also spiritually interested or spiritually gifted people and sensitive and also have a calling to do more in the world. So the goal is to show the listeners that it's possible for these very successful women that I interview that they're still struggling. We're still going through things. Just like we said, it's a never ending process. So we get to share in that journey. And uh, it's been really cool seeing all the stories that are coming out. So I'm excited to share that very soon. And my first podcast is the Empowered Wisdom Hour, which I do intend on adding to, which is more solo content. There are some expert interviews with some friends in the field back, you know, a few years ago and some, I do some channeling <laughs> for anybody interested in channeling. I've gotten great feedback on it. It freaks me out a little bit, but people like it. So I do it. And I also read the channel messages as well and do some on air readings. Just basically, I was called to make the first one to, to share my teachings, to put it out there, to broadcast it, broadcast the message. And at the end of 2020, it just didn't feel in alignment to spend the time on it anymore. And then recently it's popped up again. So I, I started this new project and we're going to get them both going. And uh, it's, it's really exciting how that's going to support a lot of listeners out there. There is no way I'm not asking you about channeling now. <laughs> I am so intrigued by that. This is my impression of what it is. You tell me if I'm right. And this might be sort of a more amateur view of it, but this is what I have been trying to find. Someone where it literally, obviously in a different body, my dad would take this person over and it would be like literally getting to have a conversation with my dad again, rather than a medium getting messages. It can be. I have not had a reading or met anybody that does mediumship that way, but I've heard about them. So, you know, they would sit and just channel a loved one. So I don't, I can't speak to that. The kind of channeling that I have done, and I haven't done it in a while, I do it more when I write, but is more bringing in higher guidance. So, you know, when I sit down and ask questions, I'm like, I want to understand these secrets of the universe, or I want to understand how to go about this or how to deal with this tragedy in the world. And then as I get quiet and go into an altered state, which for me just feels like a trance, it's very much just like a hypnosis or hypnotic trance. And it's very easy for me to go into that state. It always has been. And I simply allow the words to come. So as I'm in in the seat of doing that, I don't know what I'm going to say next. And that's what's so scary about it. Because <laughs> I'm like, what is this entity, energy, wisdom going to say that I'm going to be responsible for it because it came out of my mouth. But luckily, it's been really beautiful. It's been very helpful for a lot of people. And I, I work with just, for me, it's like, for lack of a better term, a higher vibration of energy. It's not people energy. And it's not even spirit guide energy. It's like, 
maybe it's angelic, maybe it's ascended master energy. I'm, I never really asked that question. All I know is it's super helpful. So it just gives kind of a vibrational shift to whoever is listening to it. What does it feel like versus you talked about how other types of readings feel to you? How does this feel different? It's a fully letting go. So I go into a slight trance every time I go into a reading. So it's just, it's putting Molly and my personality out of the way, like step aside. I'm not going to be talking from my personal experience right here. I'm going to start looking into the cards. I did a reading for you on, on our show, didn't I? Did I do a little card reading? You did. It was really fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So even with that, I mean, on a podcast, I'm a little bit more quick about it, but I'm still saying, okay, I'm asking you questions. And then when I go into the reading, it's like, all right, I'm focused on just looking here. I might check in with you to make sure it makes sense. But it's very much a focused channel of understanding how to put all of this together, all these pictures together in a way that makes sense to the sitter or whoever I'm doing the reading for. When it comes to channeling, I just take that, you know, 500 steps further and I just go completely limp except for the voice or if I'm writing, except for my hand that's writing. So I'm just totally out of it and just letting it come through. And then when I'm done, I come back into my conscious awareness and then I read it and say, wow, that's good stuff. (laughs) You know, I couldn't have said that myself. (laughs) I have to, it's a creative, a feeling of a creative channel and bringing that energy in. That's maybe not so much my own thoughts. And so when you come out of the trance, you don't even know what you wrote. You're, it's like reading it as if someone else wrote it. Yeah, I can remember bits and pieces, but it's very much, uh, and Abraham Hicks is a very well-known channeling group. They talk about it as blocks of thought, and I would tend to agree. It feels like I'll get a word or a few words. It's like, write those down. And I don't know what the sentence is going to say. And then I write the next part of the sentence down, or I get like a certain kind of concept. And then I just kind of riff on that concept. And so, yeah, that's what it's like. <laughs> and it's a surprise. It is kind of like, wow, I wish I thought like this all day, every day, because that would be really great. But it's tuning into that level of wisdom that for some reason, we're disconnected from it on an everyday basis, but we do have access to it when we need it to make those bigger decisions or to heal. You do coaching for other women. When you go into channeling, do you use this as well for yourself? Yes, actually, more often than not, if I if I feel the need to really tune in, I'll do my cards occasionally. I, I feel much more connected to my intuition than I ever have. So I mostly feel just the yes or no in my body when it's making decisions. I think business-wise is the biggest challenge that I have. And I've talked to a lot of spiritual business owners, same kind of thing with them. We get in our minds about what we should do. And it, there's this balance of having a structure of the work that we're doing and then also following our spirits lead. But when it comes to big, big decisions, I may, yeah, I may do some cards. I may sit down and just say, spirit, what do you need me to know? Or I'll go out in nature, sit and meditate in nature and feel that energy coming in. And yeah, it's one of my favorite ways actually to get guidance for myself because I feel totally out of the way when I'm, when I'm doing that. Can anyone get to the point where they can do that? That seems so lucky to have, to get advice in your life from someone who's even smarter than any human that you know on this planet. Yeah, that's a good question. Well, as far as I I have experienced, everyone has intuition for themselves. Everyone has healing ability for themselves. And so we all have that ability to tap into that for our own lives. As far as channeling, that's it does take a lot of practice and a deep ability to relax and let go, which a lot of people struggle with that. So I wouldn't say that's something everyone, I mean, everyone could do it if they wanted to, but I don't know that that everyone is wired to do something like that. And certainly not everyone is wired to do readings or channel for others. That's kind of a calling or a special, if you want to call it a gift or a skill that some of us get you know, in life, it comes with its own challenges, believe me, but it's something that we really are guided to share with others because it's not readily available for everybody. Are you able to communicate with your loved ones yourself, your loved ones who've passed? Yes. Yeah, I have definitely. It's, it's really interesting in times of grief and healing. I've had more intense kind of connections with, with my loved ones. So my father was a big one that even helped in my journey to develop because uh, he died when I was six. He was my best friend. I was daddy's girl. So when I started to do this work, he showed up a lot. When we do practice circles, you know, other medium students are reading your loved ones. So he was there at a majority of the classes, even new people would come in and see my dad again. They'd say, Hey, where's his belt buckle? looks like he's fishing. He's got, you know, he's tall and describe him to a T. I'm like, yeah, that's dad again. And he really played a part in me 
doing this work. And he even came through my first, my first mediumship reading to help me heal from the grief of, of losing him and said, Hey, this reading stuff you do, it's really good for you. I want, I want you to continue on this journey. So after that, after I kind of stopped pushing away the grief and forgave God for what had happened, I could feel him in the car with me, or I could feel him walking with me in the woods. And I, there came a point where I found such peace with the dying process and the the understanding that we all pass. It's part of life. I didn't really feel him there that much anymore, but I kind of like to think he's just part of the fabric of my life now. So if I did call on him, I could, but I, I haven't felt the need to. And there's been other loved ones that have passed since very similar experience. They come around when needed and then and then they're just, you know, they're just kind of out there if I if I call on them, but <laughs> I don't often. And are there tips you can give anyone for communicating with their loved ones on their own? Yes, keep your eyes open, you know, loved one, be open to the process. If you have doubts and you're like, I don't know if that's possible, you know, you might want to work on that. Relaxing into the idea that, you know, be open to surprises, be open to mystical experiences. Some people, it freaks them out. So your loved ones might not try to contact you too directly. They don't want to freak you out. They also don't want to make you sad. So if you're grieving and you're in a heavy grief situation, they may come to you and start contacting you and you think of them and then you start crying. They usually will step away because they don't want to push that, right? So the more you do your own grief work and releasing that, the stronger they're going to come through and you'll be able to see the evidence of them a lot of times. It can be a message on a billboard or a license plate. It can be a bird flying in front of your face. My grandma showed up as 20 cardinals in my courtyard in the apartment building I lived in when she died. And her favorite bird was a cardinal. And one would fly past my car and at the at my work a mile away, one would stand at the window at the gym and tap on the glass. I'm like, hi, grandma. <laughs> you know, you have these moments where a lot of people will ask me, is that my loved one, this thing that happened? And I'm like, if, if you're questioning if it is, it probably is because you felt that in the moment. And there was a there was a reason there was even a subconscious connection that made you think of them. Therefore, yes, they're, they're communicating with you. They also like to leave coins, feathers, found objects. And it's really about just talking to them. If you miss them, talk to them and, and be open to getting that conversation going. And I think that's a beautiful way to heal from the loss and to see that we're always connected. They're never really gone. I didn't get to ask you about your book. I got a little distracted about channeling. So can you just quickly tell us what the title again of your book and what it's about? Sure. So my book is called Empower Your Wisdom, and it's all about healing your life and embracing your gifts and just really starting to shift your mindset into the power of your spiritual awareness. So I tell my story of similar, a lot of what I shared here today. I also was suicidal as an art student and how I turned my life around through my psychic development work and moving into this work and following my calling. So I share about that. I share about some tips. I share about uh, the kind of readers and energy healers you might want to visit and who they are, how they're different. And then just some really great kind of channeled encouragement towards the end of how to be someone who stands in sacred solitude in the world and listens to their guidance. There's challenges that come with that. So I address a lot of that at the end of the book. Hi, everyone. I'm so excited to share that my book, What the Fuck Just Happened? A Sciency Skeptic Explores Grief, Healing, and Evidence of an Afterlife is available now for sale. If you go to wtfjusthappened.net, you can see the link to buy it. I'll also have the link in the podcast show notes. I know many of you want to know how exactly did I come to change my mind about the afterlife? Well, this book is all about the first stages of my exploration into this afterlife evidence to where I'm at today. It starts with the awful part of when I lost my dad, how as a science-minded atheist, I first began to explore if there was any possibility of an afterlife and what and who I found most compelling. I also share some stuff that was not so compelling, such as a very clearly fake psychic medium reading and a pretty ridiculous seance, but that's balanced by some amazing peer-reviewed studies on mediums, medium readings, parapsychologists, and just a whole bunch of what the fucks, including some really inexplicable personal things that happened to me, and some 
really incredible signs I got from my dad. Despite the topic, it's actually funny, mainly because I'm just like such an awkward person. And you also get to learn about all the amazing people and incredible characters I met along the way, as well as more about the research that helped change my mind. And some of the people you learn about have become some of my really good friends and mentors today. So go to wtfjusthappened.net and order it. If you've already read it, please rate and review on Amazon. I cannot tell you how helpful that is. And share with any friends who might be interested. Thank you all. I'm so excited to finally share the full details of this crazy exploration with all of you. And now we're going to pause for a second for the question of the week. Lena asks, if you hadn't had a loss, do you think you would have started researching psychic mediums and afterlife evidence? Absolutely not. I thought this was all complete nonsense. I mean, I didn't even, I don't know, I didn't even know about it. I just had heard a little bit about mediums and psychic mediums. I hadn't even heard anything about evidence or Dr. Julie Beischel or University of Virginia Division of Perceptual Studies. The only thing I had heard about afterlife was religion and God and then psychic mediums, which I pictured as either incredibly woo and just completely out of touch with any form of reality or complete con artists. But I probably would have ended up researching this at some point no matter what because unless we ourselves die fairly young all of us end up encountering a significant loss so if my dad hadn't died that year he would have eventually died and I most likely still would have been living so I most likely would have ended up going down this path at some point if you have a question you want me to answer send it to Hello at WTFJustHappened.net and put question of the week in the subject. I know I usually say first names, but if you want to be completely anonymous, let me know. And feel free to reach out anyway, even if you don't have a question. I can't wait to hear your questions and hear from you. Approximately 185,000 murder cases went unsolved from 1980 to 2019. On average, 66% of homicides are solved each year. So what about the other 34%? Alarmingly, the number of murder cases that went unsolved by police hit a new high in 2020, resulting in only 50% of cases being solved, leaving far too many families with no answers, no resolution, no closure. That's why we investigate and report on unsolved cases, to spread the word in hopes of helping families who are searching for answers. We don't sleep, we're just actively looking for her. These girls were alive, they were living, breathing people, they weren't a picture in the media. There was a, a body found in a truck recently. None of us know anything about that body, who, who was it, what happened. What could have happened? Who could have been involved? There's no answer. And, and it's just horrible. A true crime series investigating mysterious unsolved cases. Real people, real stories, real crimes. Tune into Speaking of Crime with your hosts, Gia and John. Available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. We are at Speaking of Crime on Instagram and Facebook and at Crime Speaking on Twitter. So yeah, Empower Your Wisdom by Molly McCartney. You can get it on Amazon. And in general, where can everyone find you and follow you? Listen to your podcast, book a session, learn more. My website is mollymaccartney.com. That's M-O-L-L-Y-M-A-C-C-A-R-T-N-E-Y. You can check me out there. If you're interested in learning more about the show, you can go to empoweredwisdomshow.com. And you're going to find just about everything you need about everything we've talked about on those two places. 
To get more information on what the fuck just happened, go to wtfjusthappened.net. There you can order my book, What the Fuck Just Happened, A Sciency Skeptic Explores Grief, Healing, and Evidence of an Afterlife. And you can learn all about how I came to conclude that there most likely is an afterlife. You can also learn about the early stages of my grief and the amazing, fascinating people I met along the way. You can also read about how much I harassed them trying to get evidence, see if they were cheating, and see if they were sane. There, you can subscribe to our newsletter. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. It makes such a difference, especially for a new podcast like this one. And if any of you have had a crazy what the fuck yourself, have any questions, feedback, or just want to say hi, reach out on either Instagram at WTF underscore just underscore happened underscore or email me at hello at WTF just happened.net. And remember, you don't have to draw any final conclusions as you wonder what the fuck just happened. <laughs>